Well, as we turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Joshua, I want to talk this morning primarily about principles of spiritual warfare. Uh, next week, I'm going to visit a subject that um, I haven't really preached much on uh, over the years, and that is, uh, who is this God of the Old Testament that orders the annihilation of the Canaanites, and why does he do that, and how does that fit in with the God of the New Testament? We have so much today uh, talk about uh, a loving God that uh, people have a hard time reconciling that with the picture they see in Old Testament times. In the book of Joshua, uh, has all of this information in it. And so um, this morning as we consider the principles of spiritual warfare, one of the things I want us to recognize is that, as Peter put it, everything that was written of old was written for our benefit. That the experiences and the biographies and uh, the examples of the Israelites and their various interactions with God and with other people uh, were written to teach us lessons. And oftentimes those lessons are not in the same material way, but they're spiritual lessons. They're lessons that teach us about uh, the spiritual life. And when I say that, I don't mean that our physical life doesn't have practical value. Of course it does. But uh, the warfare that we fight today, the battles that we fight, are largely battles of the spirit against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly realms. Paul tells us that our struggle is not with flesh and blood. In Joshua's day, it was with flesh and blood to a large extent. Uh, although there was a spiritual power behind it. But in our time, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. And the heavenly realms, by the way, uh, is simply the atmosphere around us. When the scripture says that the devil is the prince of the powers of the air, he's talking about this atmosphere in which we live and breathe and uh, we are grounded to the earth by virtue of our physical body. And one day we'll be in the presence of God in, in His heaven. But meanwhile, we also inhabit the same territory as the enemy of our souls, which is the atmosphere. And so, um, all around us are spiritual forces that are opposing the people of God. We need to get a handle around that and understand it. Because we have a tendency to think that when trouble comes our way, it is a purely a human kind of difficulty. That we're 
uh, simply dealing with human problems. And Paul tells us that's not the case. We're dealing with supernatural warfare. I walked out this morning to come in here and um, Dick asked me, how you doing? And I said, well, okay. Um, and he, he looked at my face, which probably telegraphed pain. <laughs> he said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I have really, really got some cramps. I hurt. And uh, he said, we just prayed for you this morning. And I said, well, don't stop. Keep praying. Uh, because I think that's a spiritual battle. You know, I'm walking out on a Sunday morning to uh, begin a, a work of ministry that is of the Lord, and there's opposition. And I'm pleased to tell you right at this moment, I don't have a pain in my body. I'm perfectly fine. And uh, God is faithful, and He does that. And if we look at these things purely in the realms of the flesh, uh, we tend to apply human solutions to spiritual problems, which does not work very well. And uh, when we are having difficulty with other people, we tend to think that they are the problem. And oftentimes the enemy is stirring up in relationships uh, to give us grief. So our battle is not against flesh and blood. And yet, as we look at Joshua's battle that was very much warfare in the realm of flesh and blood, there are spiritual lessons that we can apply to our supernatural fight and gain from that some insight into how to win the battle. In fact, Joshua uh, in the Old Testament is very much connected to Ephesians in the New Testament, which is a book about spiritual warfare as much as anything. Just like Leviticus is connected to Hebrews uh, as a book about the symbolic meaning and interpretation of the law and the tabernacle. Uh, and so when we look at Joshua, we have this connection to the New Testament that uh, brings things together for us in a tangible, visible way that we can see and understand. Uh, we need to recognize, first of all, that Joshua is the man whom God has chosen to lead his people. And Joshua's name means it's the Old Testament equivalent of Yeshua or Jesus. And it means the Savior, the one who... Uh, redeems, the one who uh, leads and redeems and recovers the people. And so Joshua is a spiritual leader like Jesus is our spiritual leader. And yet there is a distinctive difference because Joshua is not the top leader. We find that um, he has an encounter with the captain of the host of the Lord and we discover that he is having a face-to-face -face confrontation with Jesus himself. And we know that because uh, as Joshua sees this man standing in front of him, and uh, they're in enemy territory, and they're about to, to move into Canaan, and uh, he's on his guard. And he sees this 
fellow standing in front of him, and he says, are you for us or against us? And uh, Jesus gives an interesting response. And, and when I say Jesus, it is a, uh, a Christophany or a theophany, an appearance of God in the Old Testament. Uh, he says, I am neither, but I am the captain of the host of the Lord. And then we know he is divine because he says, take off your shoes, <laughs> fall on your face, because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. And Joshua does just that. He falls face down before the Lord. And he recognizes that his true leader, the one who will guide and direct him, is in fact none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So there's this strong correlation between the human leader Joshua and our supernatural captain who is Jesus Christ. And you and I need to recognize that we have this same captain, the captain of the host of the Lord. And he is the one in charge of the battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. And Joshua is given the key to victory. Uh, this looked a lot bigger on my screen than it came out on your paper. And I apologize for that. Um, but uh, I'm going to read it uh, from something I can see. And uh, you've got the reference there. You can check it out. But uh, God says to Joshua, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses from the wilderness of this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates and all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand against you all the days of your life, just as I have been with Moses I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And here is the criteria for victory. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jesus said to his disciples, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will always be with you. And you and I can count on the fact that God is always with us. That the Lord Jesus Christ has promised that he will be our constant companion and yet he says uh, to his disciples in John 15 and 16 and, and those passages as he's uh, spending his last hours with them he says to them if you love me you will keep my commandments 
Oftentimes we get the cart before the horse and we think it says, if you keep my commandments, you will love me. And that's not what it says. Uh, the Christian life is not a life of law keeping. It is a life of relationship. If you love me, if you are in relationship with me, because you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will follow my instructions. I will be your guide and, and you will listen to the things that I have to say to you. You will follow me. And he says to Joshua, I am the Lord. I will be with you. I will go with you wherever you go. I will give you success. You don't need to be afraid. You can be courageous and strong because I promise you I will always be there. But he says, this book of the law, that which I gave to Moses, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall uh, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And when he says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, he is making an analogy uh, to um, cattle chewing the cud. Uh, I won't get into all the gross details, but um, uh, once they've eaten, they bring it back up and chew on it some more until they have thoroughly digested their meal. And uh, they do this over and over. You see uh, cows, you know, uh, maybe perhaps sitting in the pasture and their mouths are going. Well, they're still working on their food. <laughs> and what God is saying to Joshua is you shall ruminate, you shall meditate, you shall d thoroughly digest my word. It shall always be in your mouth. It will be there ready to use. It will be there ready to nourish. And you shall make sure that you do according to all that's written in it. Because that is the key to success. I am the victor. I am the captain of the host of the Lord. I will lead you in victory. But you must follow me. You must pay attention to me. You must follow my word. So many of us, friends, get into trouble because we do not know the Scriptures or we do not follow the Scriptures. And God has given us great uh, resource in the Scriptures, to give us wisdom, to give us understanding, to guide us. And if you don't know the Scriptures, you're going to make foolish mistakes. People oftentimes will feel like the Holy Spirit is leading them. And, and sometimes I hear people say, well, the Lord is leading me to do thus and so. And I, it's like, What? What are you talking about? That's contrary to the Word of God. But I feel it so strong in my heart. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> That's not the Holy Spirit talking to you. He never violates His own Word. Ever. 
He makes no changes. It's always the same. Yesterday, today, forever. That word, uh, not one dot, not one uh, crossing of the T will pass until it has been completely fulfilled. The Holy Spirit always guides us in accordance with His Word. And the witness of Scripture is one of the ways that we test the, the inward uh, leading of the Holy Spirit. Is what I hear some voice saying to me congruent with the Word of God? And if it isn't, it is not the Holy Spirit. I don't care how strongly you feel about it. Uh, many times people uh, want something so badly. And then as they pray over it, <laughs> they uh, hear the voice of God. Confirming their passions, their desires. And, and they're just confident that the Lord is leading them. And friends, it's not Him if it's contrary to His Word. We have to be careful when we pray that we have an open heart without an agenda so that He can speak to us of His own heart and mind. And so God says to Joshua, this is the key to success. This is the key to victory. That you are careful to do according to all that is written in it. And it's not that our spiritual lives are supposed to be legalistically controlled uh, by some uh, adherence to all the rules. They, we are to be guided and controlled by the Holy Spirit. But we are always to test the Spirit against the Scripture. This pleases Him. It does not offend Him. It pleases Him. For us to say, Lord, I feel like you're saying this to me, but uh, show me in your Word. Lead me. Give me direction. And you say, well, what I feel like God is telling me to do, there's not a verse in the Bible that, that applies to it. Oh, I doubt that. <laughs> it may not tell you exactly the same thing, but there's a principle in Scripture. There's guidance in Scripture that will give you indication as to what is harmonious with the Lord. The Scripture is our foundation. And then the battle is a foregone conclusion in accordance with the promise of God to Abraham. This is something that God affirmed to Joshua. As I have been with Moses, I'll be with you. And as I have promised this land to Abram, so I will give you every inch of territory on which your feet trod. Notice in Genesis, going all the way back to Abram and Abraham, and the transition occurred in these verses, that the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. 
And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. It's interesting that that list correlates with the list that Joshua is reminded of. And all of this land God has promised to the nation of Israel. Friends, there's a lot of debate about that today. And uh, people, of course, uh, deny the validity of Scripture. And um, they complain that the Jews have misunderstood and misinterpreted this. And, and I want to be careful in what I say here because... Israel is not without fault, and the Arabs are not without fault. But one of the things that the Scripture is clear on is that God owns all the land. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It all belongs to Him. And He has given that promised land to the nation of Israel as an inheritance forever. That land belongs to Israel. That's the, the biblical declaration. They don't always go about it the right way. Just as they are still in rebellion and uh, ignorance of their Messiah... And when I use ignorance in that format, I mean ignoring their Messiah. They are refusing to bow before Him. But God's promises are faithful. And I want us to recognize this morning that the promises that God has made to us are faithful. When Paul says... I know and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. We are given the assurance that God will safeguard our future. That he has placed within us his Holy Spirit by way of new birth. And that according to Ephesians, that Holy Spirit is the earnest of our redemption. It is the promise. God has made the down payment in our lives. We belong to Him because we have put our faith in His shed blood and in His forgiveness on the cross. And because we belong to Him... He will keep what we have committed to Him against that day. Friends, we have the assurance that we will win the battle. The battle belongs to the Lord and we have the confidence that we will win it. Someday, we will be victors, overcomers in the Lord. And we will... Uh, be welcomed into His presence in heaven. 
recognize that the extent to which we enjoy the blessing of that victory here is dependent upon how closely we walk with Him. That there is a practical side of walking with Jesus that will make a profound difference in our life, whether it's um, God bringing victory to us, or if we're not walking closely, we're constantly facing defeat. But the assurance is that in due season, we will inherit what God has absolutely promised to us. And so as we look at Joshua, these to me are foundational. We're led of the Lord. We're given the keys to victory in His Word. And the outcome of the battle is a foregone conclusion. Just as God promised the nation of Israel to inherit the land of Canaan, so He has promised to us that we can enjoy the Sabbath rest of God now, and we will enjoy victory in His presence in the future. Now, what are some of the principles of spiritual warfare? Uh, lessons from the conquest of Canaan uh, that I would like to bring up for us. First of all, the battle belongs to the Lord. I've said that, but let me uh, particularize it with the battle of Jericho. The Israelites had a very strange way of going to war in the land of Canaan. The very first city that they were to conquer, they crossed the Jordan on dry ground at flood time, and they crossed opposite Jericho, and as they uh, moved over to the west side of Jordan, God gave them a plan of victory. And this is what he said. I want you to take up seven trumpets. I want the priest uh, to uh, get seven trumpets, the Levites. And every day I want you to march around the city of Jericho. And I want you to blow the trumpets. And I want you to give praise to the Lord. And you will do this for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times. And as you march around seven times, blowing the trumpets, on the seventh time, all of the assembly of Israel will give a great shout. And the walls of Jericho will fall down flat. Now, there's a physics problem here. <laughs> with a very interesting outcome. I, I'm inclined to uh, suggest to my son to try to figure this one out mathematically. Those walls were not thin. Houses were built into the walls. They were thick. Those walls were probably 20, 30 feet thick or more. They were made of stone, and they were tall. And 
it's one thing for them to just collapse inwardly, but if they did that, they would leave a pile of rubble probably still 10 or 15 feet tall. The fact is that God said they will fall down flat. They will just completely collapse and spread out and you will be able to go straight forward into the city of Jericho. That's really rather remarkable. It's a miracle in and of itself. And when that happens, you shall go in and you shall destroy everything that you see. It all belongs to the Lord. There's also a principle of first fruits here. And I won't get into that this morning, but you can tuck that away if some of you are wondering about it. But here is a promise from God that I will do something miraculous in the conquest of Jericho. You will not lift a finger. You will not lift a sword. You will not wield a weapon. You will simply march, blow the trumpet, and praise my name. And give a shout. And I will fight the battle. And when I fight the battle, I will give you victory. And it will be without effort on your part. Now, not every battle that we fight is going to be as easy as Jericho by any means. But God wants to make it clear at the very beginning that the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. When we look at those uh, spiritual uh, points of armor in Ephesians chapter 6, um, all of them have to do with, in one way or another, resting in the Lord. We're not going to war in any physical sense. We are resting in the Lord, and He is giving us victory. Secondly, victory requires both faith and obedience. They were required to do exactly what God said to them to do. Now, friends, sometimes God will give you direction that won't make any sense. When did the waters of Jericho stand up in a heap? Did God stand them up and then say, now go forth on dry ground? No, he said, when the priests put their feet in it, that's when the waters will stand up. And they'll be cut off going down to the Dead Sea and they'll rise up in a heap on the other side. You know, I, I have to wonder, I, I sometimes I, I think this way, and I'm thinking about the Israelites, and I'm wondering if they're not uh, crossing over going, because here's this tall wall of water mounting up. And these priests are standing in the middle. But it required them to exercise faith. To put their feet in the water. And to walk across in front of this heap. Now they may not have seen it clearly from where they were. Because it talks about where it stood up. But God required them to exercise faith. To cross Jordan. 
And when it came to Jericho, you don't need your weapons. You don't need your swords. All you need to do is walk around the city. Are you kidding? Nope, that's all you need to do. You just need to walk around the city, march around the city, and on the seventh day, when you go around seven times, I'll knock the walls down. What if they had said, that's ridiculous. I'm not doing that. I'm going to be ready for war, just in case. It requires faith. It requires confidence that what God has said He would do, He will do. Every battle requires as much faith as Jericho, even if it's not as easy as Jericho. Thirdly, we must claim every inch of territory God has promised us. You notice according to the New Testament, that Joshua did not fulfill all the promises of God. In fact, the Israelites repeatedly continued to make mistakes and to disobey and and in one way or another to mess up things so that they never really drove all the Canaanites out of the land. They were still dealing with them in the judges, and they were still dealing with them in Saul, and they were still dealing with them with David, and they fought these battles throughout their history because they never really drove out the Canaanites. They allowed all those tribes in one way or another to remain there. And so Hebrews 4, verses 8 through 11 says, If Joshua had given them rest, he would not have said there still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has ceased from his labor. The one who has entered his rest has ceased from his labor. Therefore, let us be diligent that we might enter his rest. Here's a spiritual paradox. The scripture is telling us that there is a place for us that is reserved. Joshua did not fulfill it. There's a place for us that is reserved called the Sabbath rest for the people of God. And when you look at what that Sabbath rest is supposed to be, it is truly a land of rest. It's a place of um, peace. It's a place of joy. When did God create Adam and Eve? According to the scriptures. What day was it? Sixth day. What time of day? Four o'clock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're close, Jan. <laughs> It is the end of the day, because they are the last living creatures that he made. And when does the Jewish day begin? Sundown. And what do you do when it turns sundown, if you don't have electric lights? And what do you do 
after the candle. <laughs> you go to sleep, you know. Um, they didn't burn candles very long. They, they went to sleep pretty quickly. For one thing, they didn't have libraries and they didn't have flat screen TVs. And it's like, well, what are we going to do? Let's go to bed. And so God created Adam and Eve at the end of the sixth day. And the first thing they did was in the beginning of the seventh day, they went to sleep. And the morning of the seventh day, they woke up and spent it with God. The Sabbath is all about that. It is all about coming into a place of rest and spending the day with God. A place of joy, a place of peace. And if Joshua had given them that, the scripture says he would not have spoken of another day afterwards saying, Today, if you hear his voice, see to it that you do not act disobediently like they did. But see to it that you enter the rest of God for there remains, there's still available a Sabbath rest for you. And then he says, be diligent to enter the rest. Work hard to rest. <laughs> you see, entering the rest of God is crucial. And coming into that place of rest is learning how to defeat the enemies that oppose us so that we can come to that place of victory and rest in the Lord. Do you long for the Sabbath rest of God? I was challenged yesterday to take a day of rest uh, by our president. I was challenged to give myself permission to cease from my labor and to just stop and put the phone away and Put the books away and rest in the Lord because that rest is so crucial. And so as a consequence, Ephesians 4 says, we must maintain a militant attitude towards sin and the devil. I'm not going to wear you out with my exposition of Ephesians 4. Some of you have heard it enough that you can tell it as well as I can. But this is one of the most mistranslated and misunderstood and applied passages of Scripture. The Scripture says, Be angry. Be angry. Stop sinning. Stop giving the devil a place in your life. The scripture is saying to us to have an attitude that is militant towards sin. That our anger is never to cool off. It's always to be like the sun at noontime. Don't let it even go into the afternoon. Stay angry towards sin. Have an attitude about sin. 
that you never give the, the, the devil a place, the word opportunity in Scripture. In that passage is the word topos. We get our word topography from it, and it literally means a physical place. God said to Joshua, everywhere your feet will step, I will give you. And friends, I want us to recognize this morning that God has promised us victory, but we must claim it. We must enter the rest of God. We must rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. We must take for ourselves that which God has promised us. And our attitude towards sin should be one of holy, righteous anger. It's not something you make up with your partner or your friend before bedtime. It's something you maintain fervently all the time. Stay militant in your attitude to sin. Don't ever let it cool down. Resist it. And claim what is yours by faith. God had promised them the land. He said, this belongs to you. I've given it to you. Now, go take it. What has God given you this morning that you are not taking? What has He offered you? What has He promised you that you have not claimed for yourself? The Holy Spirit will give it to you if you will reach out and take it and claim it by faith. We must never let the devil occupy place in our lives. We must not give him any territory. We must not leave him any room. We must be willing to take by faith that which God has offered to us. And whatever your spiritual struggles are or battles, God has promised to give you victory. And then we need to recognize from Joshua that right after spiritual victory is the most dangerous time of vulnerability. I don't, I don't say that to frighten you. I say that to, to put you on guard. You know, survey after survey has been taken through the years uh, among pastors. And they ask the question, what time of the week are you most vulnerable toward spiritual defeat, sin, depression, discouragement, whatever. Do you know what the answer consistently is? You know what wins? Sunday night. You have this great spiritual victory. You preach your heart out. You share the Lord. You sense His anointing. And if you're not paying attention, Sunday night is not a good time. Because like um, Elijah, when he dealt with the prophets of Baal, slaying 400 people with a sword is not an easy task, by the way. 
And he slew all the prophets of Baal. And then all Jezebel said was, you just wait and see if I don't do this to you by this time tomorrow. And what's he doing? This man is just called fire from heaven. He's running for his life. Hiding under a juniper tree. Way out in the desert. Scared to death of this woman Jezebel. He's exhausted. He's tired. He's vulnerable. We need to recognize that right after spiritual victory is is a time of vulnerability. The walls of Jericho fell down flat. It's amazing. Just amazing. And so AI's next on the list. And Joshua sends out some spies and they come back and say, Joshua, piece of cake, man. We don't even need the army. Just 3,000 guys will do it. Just We'll just go up there and it won't take us any time at all to clean up AI. And so Joshua says, okay. So they send 3,000 guys up. And oh man, do they get beat. 36 of them are killed. They run for their lives. Now Israel is quaking in their sandals. They, they don't know what to do. Uh, they're wringing their hands. God has let them down. And Joshua's before his face saying, God, what have you done? How come you've let us be beaten like this? This is awful. And God says, shut up, Joshua. Stop your whining. You've you got sin in the camp. Deal with it. Get up and I'll show you who the problem is. You see... He didn't ask God about taking 3,000 men to Ai. I think that battle defeat could have been won. If Joshua had said, Lord, I need your wisdom here. Ai looks like a piece of cake, but I need you to give me direction. And I think God would have said, Joshua, do not go to Ai until you deal with, with the Israelites. You've got a problem here in the camp. 36 people would have been alive that got killed. And the next thing that happens is there's a a ruse by the Gibeonites. They dress up with old tattered clothes and they throw dust all over themselves and they come straggling into the camp like those that have been on a long, long journey. And they want to make a peace treaty with the Israelites. And nobody's asking God's wisdom and advice. They just take a look at these Gibeonites and they don't know who they are. Joshua says, we don't know who you are. I mean, you could be some of the inhabitants of Canaan. Oh, no, no, no. We've come a long distance. Look at our bags. Look at our... Our leather is worn out. Look at our animals. Look how dusty we are. We've been on a long journey. Oh, okay. Well, we'll make a pact with you. And that was the beginning of giving place to the devil because they made an agreement with Gibeon and they were forbidden to break their vow. And the Gibeonites were able to live safely. They lived as slaves, but they were spared. And trouble came 
as a result of that. Friends, we need to recognize that prayer is our direct line to headquarters, and we must constantly seek wisdom and direction from the Lord. If you think you can handle a situation, you need to be careful. You probably are being deceived, and you can't. You need the direction of God. I hope something that I've said this morning has answered some question in your life. Joshua fought physical enemies. We fight spiritual enemies. But the principles of the warfare are the same. And we need to rely on the Lord and enter his rest and enjoy his presence and allow him to fight the battles. And if we do that, and we claim the territory that he has promised, God will give us victory. Father, I pray this morning that you would open our eyes to see spiritual truth, that we would learn lessons from Joshua that would do us well in our spiritual journey, that we would maintain a militant attitude towards sin and be prepared always to claim for you and for ourselves that which you have promised because the battle belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen.